welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. My guest today is almost a neighbor, although it took the online community for us to meet each other. There was another coincidence that caught my eye early on, too, The very small community where she was raised is right next door to the very small community where I was raised on northern Vancouver Island. Like, that was almost eerie. It was just such a connection. Susan Farling, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you for coming to speak with me today. And I hope you're managing in this unusual heat wave we're having. Well, I'm glad it is an unusual heat wave because I find it challenging to manage, to be perfectly honest. Before I came on, I was had my wrists underneath cold water. And I also am actually quite delighted with the uh, North Island connection, Quatsino area. And uh, I loved it up there. I loved growing up in, in the mountains and the, and the woods. Right. And uh, left when I was 17 for the big city and uh, it was, I think a wonderful way to grow up in isolation like that. So-called isolation. It it was interesting because when we first moved to Holberg, there was only the the logging road, which was usually impassable except maybe overnight. So we'd fly into Port Hardy, drive to Cole Harbor. And then my dad wasn't in the air force, but he worked for the air force. So they would have the boat from Cole Harbor up to Holberg. And uh, and then, of course, Winter Harbor was next stop after that. So you would have... Been... Well, Port Alice was uh, only boats or planes. Little, oh, of course. Little, oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, okay. I was thinking Winter Harbor for some reason, but it was yeah, Port Alice. Port Alice, yeah. Oh, okay. My girlfriend's uh, sister actually still lives there. Oh. So, and one of my favorite... We're really getting on topic here, aren't <laughs> we? Um, one of my favorite campgrounds in the whole world is Marble River. Oh, See, it's been a long time since I've explored that part of the country. Yeah. Yeah. took the kids up there a number of years ago when they were still young. Oh. And it was just amazing. Mm. So a little plug for Marble River, if any of our people are local and looking for a good place to uh, to camp. Yeah. Okay, we, we've only met recently, but I do know from your website, you have a master's degree in counseling. You're a registered clinical counselor a certified retirement options coach, and a certified virtual coach. Can you unpack that for us, please? Well, I can, if I can start way back when, when I was a kid. Start wherever you like. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I was a kid, I wanted to be either a doctor or a nun. The nun part was because uh, I thought nuns had callings and they went on adventures. And uh, that was about, (laughs) that was my understanding. But uh, at that time, like being raised in the uh, 50 or yeah, 40s and 50s, women had the option of uh, nursing, teaching, 
uh, secretarial and getting married. I know there were adventurers and people who did do marvelous things, but in the small town and the small household I grew up in, those were the options that were offered. And so I went to university and discovered art and focused on art as an undergraduate, which I loved. But by the time I was close to 30 and I'd worked in factories and I'd worked as a cleaning lady in the hospital and I, you know, worked at a whole range of jobs, I realized I wanted something with more continuity. And I did go back and I got a nursing degree. And in that nursing degree, what I, uh, and work, what I came to realize is that more than the hustle bustle of the hospital and the physical conditions, I was interested in the moment of connection that happened too infrequently, really, because I was always so busy. But I really loved getting to know the patients and their stories and their wisdom. And that wasn't necessarily what was on tap, really, uh, for me as a nurse. I was expected to sort of tell people what was good for them, which just didn't quite fit for me. So I went back to school and got a, a master's in counseling which helped me expand those moments into, you know, an hour at least with a person, which really suited me and what I was loving far more. And uh, so I had a 30-year career uh, as a psychotherapist and uh, just absolutely uh, loved working with a whole range of people. And I did a lot of uh, postgraduate study in body-oriented psychotherapies. And so the mind-body connection, the mind-body-spirit connection has been of interest to me for many years. And towards the end of that 30-year period, I I found myself wanting to write a book about what I'd been uh, supporting people in. And I wrote um, a book that's now into its second edition, uh, and it's uh, I've retitled it, uh, It's One Choice at a Time, A Counselor's Practical Guide to uh, Lifelong Well-Being. And, and so in doing that, I wasn't even really aware I was doing it, but I was kind of turning my ship around from being a psychotherapist to wanting to specialize. And, and because I like the opportunity in transitions, the, and because of my age, and because of what was going on with my friends, the retirement transition seemed like an obvious transition to focus on. So that's when I went back and and, uh, uh, became certified as a retirement options coach. And then I realized I want to work online. I I would like to work globally. And the pandemic, certainly, I mean, I've been working online now for at least a year. And um, I I love working online. So the uh, getting the virtual, um, you know, the coaching training was an important part of that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I mean, how fortuitous that you had already sort of thought about that yeah. so that you were perhaps just slightly ahead of the curve and, and not playing catch up now as we're all sort of coming out of the pandemic, yes. which I think a lot of people are doing. Yes. But um, yes. today you're going to talk about ageism. Yes. Could you first of all define that for us and maybe give us some background on ageism? Like, has it always been here? Well, uh, ageism is defined as a prejudice towards an age group based on age. So it can happen for young people. It's, you know, being discounted, kind of their ideas discounted, as uh, it can be for old people, older people. 
in our society. Uh, it's recognized globally as the most accepted form of prejudice that there is, really. And um, the World Health Organization actually speaks of it as a global problem. And in Canada, it certainly is alive and well. We can call it well, but it, it is a very uh, much part of our culture. And in terms of has it been here forever, I think that the Industrial Revolution really highlighted the, the belief that a person is valuable if they're, quotes, contributing members of society. And so if a person, there's this kind of a scarcity model that, that there's only so much to go around. And if, if a person of a certain age, it's like when women were, were, got married and they were told they were, you know, taking a, a man's job. Well, it's in a similar way now, uh, an older person can be uh, seen as taking a younger person's job. And, and uh, that's a, that's a, a prejudice a prejudicial belief. It, it doesn't, it's not true. Right. And so, you know, be, before the industrial revolution, if there were, if there were people on the land, a more agrarian lifestyle, if somebody was uh, used to be out there hunting, fishing, or, you know, doing whatever with fence posts, as they become less able uh, physically, they can uh, move into uh, different kinds of jobs that are perhaps more sedentary or but they can still contribute to the whole family and that changed with the industrial uh, revolution and and families were essentially split up and again considered valuable as long as they could produce which is a pretty grim in my view uh, perspective on how people how to value people right and and especially when you think about some of those cultures out there that still do revere their elders because they now have a special role in that family or community. And yet, and it's interesting. Now, I sent you notes because everybody knows I follow notes. And I was going to ask if you've become more aware of ageism as, as, as you've gotten older. But I've, I find that there's the two extremes for me. There's, I've become well aware of ageism. But I'm also seeing a, another bit of that respect and reverence for people of age and what, what's your experience as you've we're both grandmas so we're not going to tell yeah. our ages here but, right. uh, yeah. well I'm happy to you know state my age uh, but what what the question is so interesting you know I do think that the question the question is about ages and being a construct of of uh, western society and I do think that as our particular brand of consumerism and uh, valuing, quotes, productive work, meaning in the wage economy, as that has spread out, so has the more ageist view of older and younger people. But I do also agree that I'm also getting whiffs of wonderful uh, appreciation and collaboration of younger people and older people. In fact, right now I'm, I'm working and collaborating with a, a community called, um, Hello Bloomers. And they're a wonderful group. And, and the, um, the founders and, uh, the people who are creating the structure are 20, 30 years younger than I am. And they're interested in supporting participatory, you know, age, aging in, as, as a wonderful part of our life cycle. 
Well, and I find too that as I listen to the news, I'm hearing things of like, oh, this, you know, this dreadful thing that's been going on for 10 years. And I'm going, well, wait a minute, that happened 40 years ago too. And so maybe by drawing on our, in quotations, uh, wisdom, you know, I could see something like that. Now, just a little sideline here that we're not, it's a road, we're not going to go down today, but another colleague and I are starting something called Grey Ruckus. Oh. Which is for Canadian seniors. So. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll keep track of that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to carry on with ageism here. Now, I was doing some research before my conversation today, or our conversation today. I read a term you used in our correspondence, internalized ageism. Yes. And the writer correlated it to institutionalized ageism. Yes. I think that's a really interesting question. You know, internalized ageism uh, kind of holds that our, uh, that as we age, that we go into an inevitable decline and um, become decrepit and uh, that it's all downhill after probably mid sixties or so. Whereas the actual the actual truth of that is is much different. It's that we tend to live in a horizontal plane in terms of our abilities and our connection with our community and our contribution and all that kind of thing until relatively short period before we actually go into decline and die. So, so the question is around uh, internalized ageism, which can be devastating if a person believes that that is the case, then there, there tends to be kind of a learned helplessness and a, and a, a giving up of joie de vie and, and uh, just a very, you know, like people become literally less physically flexible. Uh, there's a less interest in the world, just a real uh, decline that can be countered by active engagement in life and I just want to finish that one thought, though, around what can happen with, with internalized ageism. We can lose up to seven and a half years of our life if we actually really buy into that, that myth. And um, I think that the, uh, the, the institutionalized ageism that we see in our culture, for example, warehousing frail elderly and the, the, the thing that's still happening in the workplace, although not as much, which is to devalue people over 40 even, but devalue the older worker and believing the myth of sort of stagnation and, and, you know, deadwood and all that stuff, which is actually not so much, not true. But those are examples of ageism in the external world, but it makes, uh, and if, and if we look out and see those things and believe them, it's going to contribute to internalized ageism. So I think they go hand in glove. I've also known only one or two, but I've known a few people who it's almost like they're, they, I've earned this retirement in quotations and they almost choose to become old and frail and stuff like that. And it's just, in my view, I mean, barring physical issues or mental issues, but for, for most people, you know, it doesn't need to be true, as you've just said. So it's sort of interesting that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There was a fabulous, I think, an extremely interesting study done uh, in quite some time ago now. A Harvard psychologist put 
16, 70-year-old uh, men, homogeneous in their abilities, uh, split them up into two camps. And, the, uh, well, camps. Two separate groups. They uh, they were put in uh, in isolation in environments that st- uh, were reminiscent of the fifties. So they were all t- for them twenty years younger. Right. They listened to the programs. They wa- they watched the movies. They read the news. All of it, uh, and they looked at only photographs of themselves twenty years younger. And uh, one group was advised to reminisce, and the other group was av- advised to act as if, you know. And and so the ones the the people that acted as if actually came out of that uh, five year five day retreat uh, m- more flexible physically more flexible mentally more uh, engaged uh, able to be just just much more involved in their lives which I think is a fabulously interesting early study which is which is backed up by epigenetics and neuroplastic uh, studies. Now, yeah. studies of neuroplasticity. Now, yeah. So it's, it's so interesting. As you talked about that, I remember that I'd read that somewhere, yeah. not in just in the near past. So now last week you also mentioned intergenerational ageism. And interestingly, you know, when you communicated with me, you were going to talk about ageism. Uh, I recently heard a news piece about the Gen Xers who were offended by some of the expressions the millennials were using about them. And, you know, like I'll be, I'll admit, my first thought was like, okay, well, you've been dishing us okay boomer for so many years that, you know, maybe this is your comeuppance. But as I was prepping for our talk today, it occurred to me that maybe by using all these terms, boomer, Gen X, millennials, Am I perpetuating the ageism thing? You know, like I tend to use it just so that, you know, like if I talk about boomers, you sort of know what age it is. But if if we keep on labeling, are we perpetuating the ageism thing? I think another great question, you know, and, and like so many, there's, there's different ways to look at it. I think that what you just said about, well, it's a way to, to pay, quickly paint a, paint a, a picture of how old that person might be, what the... Uh, major historical events that have happened might be what you know what their influences are you know Bobby Dylan you know that kind of thing um, however it seems to me that we can if we don't if we're not careful we can make assumptions about that members of those groups groups are homogeneously something or other and I don't think that's true but I think I think it's a quick and easy essentially way to name a, an age group, but I think that we have to be specific about what we're saying about that. It's too easy to to disregard people by saying, oh, they're just a, a, a millennial, they're just a boomer. It's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting too, because I must admit, I I sort of know the, the, the Gen X and the Gen Z or whatever, but I, I know for boomers, it's a 20-year age group. That's so right. conceivably, a boomer could be called a boomer at the same time as their parent was a boomer. Exactly. You know, because especially exactly. in those days, I think uh, women were having babies earlier. That's so right. it's such a huge span. And you can't tell me that those two on either end of that, that 20 year gap are listening to the same music and it's true. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and the sort of the life tasks of every decade are, they're quite, they can be quite different. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. I, <laughs> I like having those aha moments sort of validated. <laughs> now, we talked earlier about, you know, like expectations and, you know, if, if you think you're an age or should be an age or what that age looks like. One thing that's bothered me for some time, and I'd love your opinion on it, is the phrase 70 is the new 40. Right. I had a friend recently post a map. He's got this app, I guess. This guy rides like 20, 30, 40 kilometers a day on his bicycle, and invariably it gets posted on Facebook. And a couple of us on one of his long rides was going like, oh, my goodness, you know, because he's 70-ish. And his response was 70 is the new 40. And I sort of used a blankety blank expression and said, no way, like, this is what 70 looks like today. You know, like 70 year olds are perfectly capable of riding 30 kilometers a day. Like, like, what do you think of that term? 70 is the new 40. Well, it's interesting. Um, I just noticed that you, that you sounded a little surprised that at 70, he was actually doing it when, when you first introduced this. <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and I have to say that I too will bust myself because I used to think when, you know, people would say, I just can't believe you're whatever um, age that I used yeah. to feel like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But I've changed my thinking on that. I think you're, I think you're right. I think that, it's a lazy way to not really describe what's going on. It's like, uh, so I have friends who are really, really active people in their late sixties. And so um, I'm not going, I wouldn't dream. I mean, they would really get on my case if I said, wow, you're, you're acting like you're 49, you know, <laughs> you know, but sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, it's interesting. You busted me on sort of, and maybe it's because I know this fellow because my brother's in his early seventies and he still runs 10, 14 kilometer runs. Like this yeah. is just what he does a couple of times a week. And yeah. so, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for busting me on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were you, did I cut you off too? Were you going to well, well, it's interesting. Um, uh, there was something about, for me, uh, I used to dye my hair and I, you know, tried to do it in a way that looked like it matched my face, but eventually I just stopped doing that. And uh, at 70, I turned gray white and it was the most liberating experience, really. I, it just felt like I was finally able to say, yes, this is, this is me at this age. And it's, it feels great. I feel great about it. And I think I lost some of my internal ageism and grabbed my sense of agency in all of this. So, uh, yeah, so that's just uh, been a personal example. Well, and, and my person, speaking of hair, is, I mean, I've got dark brown hair. I, I do not color it. That, I, if you look really closely, I've got about 37 gray hairs. Um, <laughs> and I often sort of say, well, you know, my dad's genetics. And it, it's pretty clear it's my dad's genetics. Yeah. And and I've had people laugh at me because they think I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, right. You color it, Agnes. Or I've had actually somebody that I made the comment, I'd, and I wasn't thinking, obviously. I said, oh, good genetics or something, which this person took it to mean that because he had white hair, I was insinuating he did not have good genetics. So he raked me over the coals for that one. So it's, yeah, hair, I think, is one of the Boy, most... are we touchy. <laughs> I think hair must be one of the most yeah. obvious things of, of, you know, like trying to define an age. I don't know. 
Well, when you asked if I experienced ageism, I started having uh, gray-white hair very young when my daughter was an infant, and I was 41. And so I would be asked, oh, are you her grandmother? And uh, so that was interesting to experience, you know? And the other just little things around ageism that I noticed that um, are the sort of the gaze that doesn't quite look at me when I'm in a store or something, if somebody doesn't want to engage with me. And, and I think, okay, what is that? Is that about the fact that I probably look like your grandmother, you know, or, or the dearie or the sweetie or the, you know, all of those sorts of things. It's like how to address that without shaming somebody, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it can be a very touchy thing. People think they're offering their kindness, I think, but what they're doing feels diminishing. (laughs) Uh, It just does. And and when I was um, looking after my mother as she became quite demented, I had an experience in the hospital with her where she was spoken to with absolute disrespect. And I was there to advocate for her right bang, you know, just but it was an example of, inst, you know, the institutionalized ageism that um, I think we've experienced a lot of in this country because of privatization, although that was not what was happening then. That's just a little plug on my behalf. That's one of my bandwagons, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Profit and care, they do not mix. They do not (laughs) mix. No, No, and and we profit differently by investing in caring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And validating and honoring all those things, you know. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I was going to say something. What was it? Something triggered. Oh, personal experience. <laughs> My mom was in care with dementia. And I had, before she went into care, I did move in back to her town to take care of her. I bought a big house, had her move in with me. And one of her big rants was because her name was Agnes Knowles and I'm Agnes Knowles. She said, people are going to get confused. Uh. And I looked at her and in the gentlest way possible, I'm going like, think they may be able to tell us apart. Secondly, I didn't name me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and thirdly, you've lived in this town for 30 years. I'm sure they'll know you. And I'm just the daughter. I probably am nameless. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what other exact, like what other experiences have you had? Like, have you had very many sort of even generationally? Generationally. Well, I'm just thinking when you were younger, did an older person treat you or did you see? Well, I'm aware of how I, I have had uh, uh, felt uh, been become aware of my own ageism, which has been a very humbling experience. Like I remember as a woman in my twenties, looking at a woman in her forties, who was clearly vying for a man's attention and and just really feeling like scorned, you know. And so I can I mean that's me uh, having been brought up in a particular culture, and. And also, I, this is, you know, this is, this is part of what's really propelled me into really understanding this better, is that I had ageist thoughts towards people who were over 80. 
and you know that they just weren't interesting or they just you know just that kind of, they just flattened them out <laughs> and you know i've had to to and essentially grow up around that and and come to and to just to recognize the incredible richness of all of us at any age and stage 60 70 80 90 100 you know and and uh, so you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like it's part of my personal and it's, it's almost like a mea culpa in a way yeah. <laughs> to, to really um, expand that understanding in our, you know, in the work I do. Well, and I think, you know, if any young person tried to deny a bit of ageism and maybe I'm just spouting my own guilt here too, but when you're in high school, aren't your teachers old? Oh, no kidding. And I wasn't going to live over 30. But it also amazed me when I got into my 30s to realize that some of my teachers weren't yet 40. Oh, I know. Yeah. So they were probably fresh out of um, teaching right. school, but they still were old because That's they right. weren't adults. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you start really looking at it you know sitting back here and looking out there but also doing a little bit of introspection yes and that's the internalized ageism stuff where where you know anytime we say an unexamined i'm too old to do that or uh you know that's that's not for someone my age or it's too late for me or you know those kinds of things which can just slip by so fast you know it's just important i think to get a filter on there to to filter out and then look at, now, is this true? Is this really true? Can I really not uh, get on a paddleboard and paddle? Uh, you know, is it really too late for me to kayak? Can I, is it really too late for me to give up? You know, do I have to give up my tent? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so what I did with my tent was I, I went from crawling into it to one I can walk into. And I feel great about that. You know, I mean, I think uh, adapt, adapt and recognize limitations, but real ones. Not not imaginary ones. Yeah, yeah. I I must admit I I have on occasion used it as a crutch. <laughs> I I do not want to work night shifts anymore, so I said I'm too old to sleep around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, on that note, it's well proven that that uh, night shift is deadly yeah. for all of us. Yeah. You know, regardless of our age and yeah. and particularly as we age, that it just does us in. I mean, I used to work as a nurse doing night shift and mm -hmm. I would notice uh, by the end of a three or four day chunk, I was done. Yeah. No, it's it's awful. So how are you actively pursuing then within your business, your current business, mm -hmm. ageism? Like, well, it's part of what um, what I will talk about with people as one of the things of, uh, you know, in their retirement planning or what does it mean to, okay. because aging is something that comes to the fore when people move into, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, like, as you say, I mean, I never, I, here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. I'm in my mid sixties. I'm heading towards 70. I never thought, you know, it's now it's me. I'm, I'm getting old and, and I may be experiencing, some of what I never thought I ever would experience. And uh, whoever tells you about that. And, uh, you know, I think it's definitely going to be one of, and is one of the things I talk about. I just ask, you know, um, how is it for you? And, 
and what have you noticed and and what is your attitude towards it and and who in your life do you know who's an inspiration to you i think that's so important you know to find inspirational examples you know i know there's the outliers like the olympic athletes of aging which is all very well and good and wonderful however i want to find people that are you know that i can relate to a little bit more who are truly inspirational to me I'm I'm very fortunate. I, I know we're interviewing you. I'm just going to throw in one more story. Is I'm I'm very fortunate to have off and on uh, because I was out of this city for ten years, but for thirty years I led a seniors exercise class. Oh, so thirty years ago, those women were in their sixties. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of them that are still. Well, we've been off because of COVID, but they're still part of the group. So Wonderful. now they're in their nineties. Wonderful. And talk about role models and, you know, just amazing examples of positive aging. It's wonderful. uh, Oh, that's wonderful, Agnes. That's just so very interesting. I might want to get in touch with you about that, (laughs) Uh, just in terms of maybe interviewing them, some of them at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They're amazing. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in the, you know, different developmental stages that, that aren't, so well known uh, about in the latter part of our life. Yeah. 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 Okay. So where do they find you? Where do our listeners find you? (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun. Um, uh, My website is uh, www.susanfarling.com. And uh, my email address is susan at susanfarling.com. And, you know, I just wanted to mention that if people go to my website on my homepage, down, down towards the bottom, uh, I have an ebook there that is uh, just packed full of information for people who might be going into retirement or just through retirement and, and feeling a wee bit lost about what next. Oh, it's awesome. just packed with information. And uh, it's called The One Big Mistake Even Bright Savvy People Make About Retirement and How to Avoid It. Okay. Is that a free download or is there a small? It's a free download. Oh, wow. Okay. So I will put all of the links uh, and I may just put, oh, if it's on the homepage though, I guess that's all they it's need. It's on the homepage and all they need, down. they need their address and their, yeah. uh, their email address and their name. Yeah. And they can uh, download that. And it's, uh, as I say, it's packed full of information. Oh, I'm going to go there right as soon as we're done. Can we finish up? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now you have a program called Finding Joy in Retirement. What is I that? I do. I do. Well, it's a retire. Uh, it's a it's a program that supports professional people who are either moving into retirement or going through it right now, or are kind of on the, uh, out of the honeymoon stage of retirement, which takes us down a few years. Who had really satisfying, engaging careers, and uh, now they're in a kind of a stage of as they as they plan, they feel kind of disconnected, kind of lost, not sure of the next uh, steps, and I help them create a a plan uh, for a fulfilling retirement that's based on what really matters to them uniquely. And then, uh, you know, so that they can have that retirement that they want, that they've worked so hard for, whether it's one job or five jobs, usually it's been at least 30 years of work and, uh, and they may decide to, to go back to work after this particular retirement. People do retire several times sometimes now, but it's very, it can be very helpful for that, Again, that transition, which uh, is is that place where we just don't know what's next. Right. 
And that's on your website too, is it? Like information uh, about that? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'll put all those links in the show notes. Uh, okay. listeners, if you have any comments on today's show, uh, leave them where you listen to podcasts or you can always go to twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. We always appreciate any stories you want to give us. It does help us grow. So thank you. Uh, feel free to share this episode with anyone you think is interested. And at our age, it should be everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, we have our new feature, Manly Monday, on the last Monday of the month. And my co-host, Marsu Laika, used to be able to hear her voice like a year ago, uh, is returning from time to time on Alternate Mondays to share some of her award-winning stories and recollections from her time as an investigative reporter slash producer. Oh, if yeah, she's yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, if you know someone who would make a great guest, send them to the Two Boomer Women website, and there's an application application form there. Susan, have we missed anything? I don't think so. It has been a lot of fun, Agnes. It's just been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Thank, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Yeah, ageism can often lurk, shall we say? Yeah, and it's good. Pervasive. To learn. Yeah. 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 So, it's good to learn more, and especially from a professional, you know, well, in you. so many ways. So, thank you. You're more than welcome, and thank you. Have a good rest of the week.